Hi guys, and welcome back to You're On Crackmate, the podcast where we delve into films, series, and whatever takes our fancy, really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on crackmate. This week, I'm delighted to welcome back Inda, who joined us recently for our Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. Welcome back, Inda. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm delighted to have you back. I had so much fun on that episode. It was pretty much a given. I wanted to talk to you again soon. Of course, I don't blame you. Um, no, seriously, um, I had a lot of fun the, the last episode. It was my first time on a podcast ever, so I'm excited to discuss this beautiful movie with you today. Absolutely, yeah. So today, um, so the previous episode, uh, I asked into what she would like to cover for this week, and she suggested a film I was not expecting, which <laughs> is 1987's Mannequin, which I had seen. I, I, I watched it when I was maybe five or six or something i am no longer five or six so it's been a while so watching it to catch up was both a trip down memory lane and also a trip through just the bizarre fashion of the 1980s yeah to be honest i came across it a few years ago um i think it wasn't yeah it was one of my first few years in dublin and i was a bit struggling and depressed so when i do that i go on a tv show binge or a movie binge like more than usual so i went through my 80s movie phase and then i started re-watching a lot of movies like you know breakfast club pretty in pink the usual ones and then i just started going into random i was like i just want random movies that will cheer me up and that's how i came across mannequin and that just became one of my favorite 80s movies like ever <laughs> it is it's just so much fun i really enjoyed it like the story is ridiculous i mean how do you describe it you're like this is a, a guy a struggling artist who falls in love with a mannequin he created and she turns out to be an egyptian princess who escaped the the you know the the, the woes of her of her life where she was going to be married to a what was he like a a, a farmer or a, a, uh, I think he was it he was um a fertilizer a fertilizer sa- salesman yes. basically yes. he sold poo basically yeah yeah uh, I remember the word dung was mentioned at some point so I was like <laughs> what was it I couldn't call him a dung farmer but anyway <laughs> um, oh so God, that's it and then farming. you're like okay oh that God. sounds ridiculous. <laughs> exactly it's like, oh, what are you I'm a dung farmer that's what I do um but yeah and then you know it's ridiculous it has all the 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 extravagantness you know all the 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 bright neon colors of the 80s the sin pop of the 80s ridiculous dialogue um some very not so subtle uh you know sexist remarks uh Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) few suspicious situations that wouldn't be considered funny but it's it, it on its own it was just a ridiculous and fun movie to watch and um yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't think um, it was that much different from a few favorites uh, in movies or TV shows that we've seen right now. For example, Lars and the Real Girl. Um, yes, yeah. Her, where he falls in love, not with a doll, but she's an AI. Um, they were thinking of doing the reboot for Mannequin to have her, uh, I think it was in 2010, they were thinking of doing a reboot with her as a hologram. So again, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. did that not kind of happen in the last Blade Runner? You know, he didn't really fall in love with her, but she was a hologram and all that stuff. Uh, and then you have the the Black Mirror episode. Um, what's the one with Donald Gleason again called? Be right uh, back. Be right back. Yes, you're good for that. Um, yes. Where he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't a doll, but he was like a recreated thing version. 
uh, of of her deceased husband. So it is. It has set a very, very, very early groundwork for those kind of movies. So it, thinking about it, it's not that strange. But it's just a lot more fun and silly and camp and just ridiculous to watch if you're able to just you know shut off your brain and just go with the flow. Absolutely. I, I mean, that was that was one thing. Like, I completely agree. Um, when I when I stuck it back on, you, you know, when you come back to a film after it's years and years uh, since you've seen it, so you kind of in in the back of your head, you, you sort of know the plot points. You sort of know, okay, yep, yeah, you know, she's gonna come back to the mannequin. He's gonna, you know, think he's losing his mind. Uh, although he accepts what's happening quite quickly, <laughs> and um, you know, there's there's that side of it so I, I remembered that but then as i was watching it i was kind of struck by just how much i was enjoying it again yeah because it just it doesn't even attempt to take itself seriously no not at all um it's just fun it's ridiculous like i was even reading about it and it was um uh one of the actors was like uh oh you know we just kept doing stuff that we hadn't done since high school anymore. It felt a mm-hmm. lot like, you know, a bunch of high schoolers recording a movie, but the director kept saying, uh, oh, no, it's fine. You're going in the right direction. And they're like, what do you mean right direction? This is very weird. But then it turned out fun. And yeah, it, it is. It, yeah. yeah, like it, it is. It's it's clearly a farce film. Like it's it's obviously on the surface, it's a comedy. And under the surface, it's a comedy. But <laughs> it's... You know, it's it's a love story. It's a story of the outsider. You know, this this guy who is weirdly successful. If if you think about it, he he spends the first five or ten minutes of the movie being you know fired from various jobs, and um, you know he by pure accident happenstance ends up as you know the visual merchandiser for. Um, I think it was, uh, oh, I Prince. love that. Yes, Prince. <laughs> I love oh, yeah. that. It's like, he can't keep a job. He's too perfectionist. He's too much of an artist to keep a job down. He takes too much time spending, you know, perfecting the details. And then, okay, first of all, he said he lost a job because he said a restaurant's on fire. So I don't know how that works. But, or exactly. he said he set the place yeah. on fire. And then it's like, okay, I don't know what happened there. But anyway, then like he, by accident, saves the old store owner you know and she's like what can i do yeah sure give me a job and then he runs into the mannequin that he happened to create earlier um which is kind of weird because they wanted to do the story as uh, originally as a a lonely old store owner and they wanted dudley Moore for it i saw that yeah Yeah, and that would have been very different i don't think that would have had a more serious tone to it i think i think so yeah i don't think that would have settled into a comedy genre i mean as easy i mean sorry i might be totally wrong but i think the way it's presented with andrew mccarthy who is a fresh-faced 24 year old you know who is surprisingly light and carefree and everything it's fine he's just you know he yeah. falls in love with the beautiful mannequin whereas i think you're you're right if you have it as say an older man immediately you have the idea of well you know if he's now just the the stock guy in a department store and he's alone yeah and he falls in love with the mannequin that starts to sound like a very different movie yeah what really helped with that is i found is because when andrew mccarthy got the role um first of all they weren't so keen on the idea because they didn't think he could attract big audiences but i'm like i mean come on look at him he was gorgeous back in the day he's my 80s crush anyway that would attract (laughs) me to the movie and um and um he was fresh of uh pretty in pink he'd done the year before as well yeah and uh 
and Kim Cattrall had done Big Trouble in Little China before. So, you know, it came out at the right time for these two names, basically, to come out with this movie and attach their names to it. So obviously then they changed the story as well um, to, you know, like a young struggling artist who, by the way, has an amazing apartment for someone who's unemployed. And he rides a Harley Davidson. What? And... um, you know, and then he has, and then the fact that he has a girlfriend as well, who is, you know, not not the nicest. I wouldn't exactly call her girlfriend material, but you know, each to their own. If that's what he fancied, fair enough. Um, sure, yeah. And whatever works for him, whatever floats his boat. But also just the fact then that he still, you know, he he wasn't lonely or whatever. It was just the fact that he just happened to came across the mannequin that he created, and that happened to be an Egyptian princess throughout years these things happen she helped him with his job she helped him become successful and then they lived happily ever after that's you know (laughs) a tale as old as time um now actually funny enough that kind of uh very ham-fisted segue that i just used there um the this is in a way of course this is an original film but in a way it really isn't because it's a retelling of the Greek myth of Pygmalion, who, you know, it's, it talks about the, the Cypriot sculptor who prayed to Aphrodite, you know, he fell in love with his ivory statue, he yes. prayed to Aphrodite. Uh, this is true, but well, okay, it's as true as any Greek myth is. Yeah. Uh, this is true. He prayed to Aphrodite and she brings the statue to life, which is more or less, well, okay, in mannequin he doesn't uh he doesn't pray and it's sort of it's her in a way it's kind of a twist and exactly yeah, it's her wish and she speaks about how she has engineered herself into his path yeah you exactly know, she, she was the muse while he was creating this well she wanted to mannequin. find her true love she wanted not mm. to just mar- not to just not marry a dog farmer she just wanted to know what love is she just doesn't want to you know, be told who to marry. She's like, I want true love and a letter to him. And But then what I wonder is, was she always a mannequin? Because throughout the little intro bit, the cartoony bit, you see her like an like as an Egyptian cat going through different phases mm-hmm. in the world, going through the different years. So was she always a mannequin or was she something else? Because she does mention having had a few guys as well. She does. She does a bit. A few famous names. Hey, there's, 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 there's no judgment here. There's no judgment here. But, oh, uh, no. It, it's, Do whatever yeah. you want. I would a, if I had that power. You know, if I had that life, why not? To be frank, exactly. If you're going back in different lives, and it's also, it's not being, you know, um, oh, I've lost the uh, I've lost the word now. It's not cheating on your partner if it's different lifetimes. You know? Not really. She doesn't know. even have a... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but, because uh, she, she mentions uh, Christopher Columbus, she mentions Michelangelo, um, so she obviously has a thing for him, you know, important men. So one wonders what Andrew McCarthy is going to do in the future. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that he will be, you know, considered along the lines of Michelangelo and Christopher Columbus. You know, big things going for him in the future. Um... But it's, well, he marries a it's, mannequin, but yeah. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> and in, you know, time-honoured fashion, man- marries her in the store window, which is lovely. Of course, of course. Well, they have to, you know, it's like where you propose where you first met. You get married where you first met. And while we're on that segue here is they first met, um, well, officially they first met when you put her together. That's, how do you explain that to the grandchildren? But, um, 
so in the store in the rain when he starts talking to her and all that stuff you know it's like that's after his girlfriend tells him he should get therapy Mm. do you remember that bit it's quite at the start of the movie where he's on his bike he's on a bike in the rain and um and she comes out of her work and she works for you know the the because he starts working for prince and she's working for illustra and um you know i know i love them they're so good and um you know she's doing well in her job and she's doing promotion soon as well apparently or something like she's always wearing these 80s power suits you know she's not wearing bright beautiful colors she's wearing more kind of toned down colors tight lines you know there's that one scene it's it's around the middle of the film and she's on the shop floor in illustria uh, illustra and i mean the 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 color of the shirt she's wearing comes down to about her waist yes yes i I was looking at it like the (laughs) 80s have a lot to answer for i'm from the 80s i I own this there was so much that kim kachal was wearing even when we were watching the buffy movie as well it was just like oh my god i need this i need this outfit I, how do you what do you call that i'm gonna google that see if i can find it somewhere there was a lot of good stuff going on fashion wise i loved it anyway uh for someone who generally wears a lot of black but um that's okay you can wear black with ruffles black with high collars yes. you know. <laughs> but back to so she tells him that he needs therapy and then drives off leaves him in the rain after which then he starts talking to the dummy to the mannequin and then she doesn't want him because he continuously blows her off for his work. But she doesn't, in the, at the first place, she doesn't want him because, or she's not too happy with him. They're still together, but she's not too happy with him because he can't hold down a job. And then he can't hold down a job. And then she doesn't like that he's blowing her off for it. And then, like, he tries to even like tell her, he tries to even tell her, like, this dummy comes to life. And she's like, yeah, right. You're, you're weird. Get out, get away from me. Bye. Now, do you know what it was? Just I, I have I have a bit of sympathy for her just in that scene. Yeah. She is there getting into her colleague's car and he rocks up on a motorbike, clearly having not slept, ranting about how the yeah. dummy came to life last night. Like, I think in that moment, yeah, okay, I have a little bit of sympathy for her. Fair enough. I don't think I'd be that receptive <laughs> to receiving the news in that way as well. Now, later on, don't worry, I'll lose all that sympathy. Oh, yeah, just definitely. It's just so, because she doesn't want him until then he starts being successful in his job. Mm. And then and then she tries to poach him off the company, be like, come work for us. And it's just weird. Apart from the fact that she's, she's I don't know what, what, what what's her story. She's got him in his life, so he sees a living, talking mannequin. And then, on the other hand, it's her co-worker who continuously tries to like no he doesn't he continually sexually harasses her he does this is armand now this is the uh armand the yeah italian guy yeah he's um, like i want to sink my teeth into that lovely bottom or bosom i can't remember what it is and it's like i was watching this what? guy oh, are you kidding me and what is it he says it's like my my tongue it just rolls or something he says what is it he, oh my god he just it just slides he says it's just what just thinking like oh my god right first of all i'll see you in the ceo's office in about five minutes i'll see you and in court stop. yeah and um there's they uh, they break into i think prince uh, at one point and the next thing he's unzipping his pants what was it uh, again uh there were so it's it's night time they've uh they've, they've broken oh do you know what it is it's it's when they break in to get the photos of, oh um, yeah 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 of Jonathan and the, you know, the mannequin and uh, I want to say Bailey, 
the cop as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they get the pictures, whatever. But while they're there, I mean, he just basically starts to take his pants off. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, that's right. When she's hiding behind a little counter. Yes, that's yes, it, exactly. yes. Yeah. And he's just like, let up. It's like, Jesus, dude, you're very rapey. This is just like, no, no. Like, and you know what the weird part is, right? So this, this, the, it was written by uh, Michael, Go- Michael Gottlieb, Gottlieb, and it was uh, co-written by Eric. Kevin, I forgot the other name. Sorry, but. Did you know that it was actually rewritten by David Isaacs and Kevin Levine? It's uncredited. I did. Yes, they got David? credit for the sequel, but they didn't get credit for. No, but the, they they yeah. did have to fix bits in the script on the first mannequin. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry. What? I want to know what the original script looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, exactly. If this is the fixed version. If this is the fixed yeah. version, which I happily enjoy don't get me wrong but i am very very curious then to the original because like david isaacs won the writers guild of america award for uh best drama series for mad men like wow i did not know that i did not know that that is bizarre he wrote, Give it out to myself he wrote like, oh for he also wrote episodes for mash cheers frazier and the simpsons and kevin levine wrote for uh wrote for a lot of stuff as well um uh, a few of them being Mash and The Simpsons too, um, and they were both nominated for many like Emmys and all that stuff. And then, I mean, yeah, okay, fair enough if they wanted to left this to be have this left uncredited, you know. But then it makes me curious, yeah. like, what is the original script? What happened there? Like, what? How bad was Armand? <laughs> you know, it's like how bad was the dialogue? It's it's entertaining altogether, though. You have to really it, have an appreciation for these movies. Um, that's it actually joe you know is funny you, you make a good point like we we're obviously we're we're enjoying the banter there's there's so much to talk about in this film but it, it's like many films it's one of those ones that's just best you, you said it best just enjoy just just put it on just enjoy it you know we're overthinking it because it's fun and we've we, you know we've, we've gone through the background of it and all the bits that we'll we'll go through now in a few minutes but this is grab a cup of tea you know it's perfectly inoffensive i'm pretty sure you know what I mean when I say it feels like a Sunday film. Yeah, it feels yeah, like a, like a, like a hangover movie. You know, I haven't been out in years. I don't go out to drink anymore and stuff. But it feels like one of those movies that you'd be like, you wake up on a Saturday or mostly a Sunday. You're hungover. It's like you know one o'clock. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna get a chicken fillet roll to be very <laughs> Irish. I'm gonna have a shower and I'm just gonna instead of lying on my bed, I'm just gonna, you know, migrate to the couch and just put on a movie there. It's that kind of movie. You know, exactly. you just, I just need an hour and a half to take my brain of how horrible I'm feeling. I just need to you know, like just be more of a vegetable for like an hour and a half while I gain, you know, regain consciousness and deal with what it happened is, last night. It's That's a bit like it's like those kind of films that it, it might not be a full hug, but it's certainly a gentle pat on the head. Oh, it does. It does. And if you like rom-coms, well, then here's a silly one for you. <laughs> you know? That's look, that's true as well. There's, I, there's, you know, spoiler alert, whatever. There's no moments of, you know, peril. There's no threat. It's not a thriller. It is a pure, enjoyable, silly, romantic Well, the moment of peril is, of course, spoiler alert, uh, you know, does she end up in the industrial shredder or not? Why doesn't she turn human yet? No, she turns humans until the very last minute. Um, (laughs) Which, obviously, her, you know, 
turning human is obviously a big plot hole for the entire film, which we can get into. Because, um, like she says, she only comes alive at night for him. Mm. Uh, okay. Th- Un- until it suits her. Until it suits her, obviously. <laughs> so then I wonder, okay, why do they really ever explain why that is? Not that no no I've, right. I've watched it a few times now. And yeah, I, I can't. I, I I can't figure it out. I Google it. I was like, they don't really say why she comes alive at night just for him. Um, then there's oh, what is yeah until it suits her in the very end. And and what I wonder then as well is like, he starts walking everywhere with the dummy, having obviously have sex with her, under working hours, you know, in the in what do you call it, in the stock room and everything, and people are listening. No one's concerned oh, yeah. for this man. One minute. No one says he maybe needs some help. No, let's go listen to this man have sex with a mannequin. And my... Well, I mean, like, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in real life. I'm sure it absolutely oh, I'm, does I'm happen sure. in real life. Sure I think this is one of the times where... <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, this is probably one of the times where the mannequin engages. But uh, but I'm can sure... they hear her too then? Yeah, well, but, well that's you would... what I want Actually, it is suggested. It's suggested. So in some of the night scenes where he is, you know... You know, they're running around, they're doing costume changes. Yeah, they're, they're oh, the beautiful, fun. the beautiful montage. <laughs> the beautiful montage. Well, actually, I, I specifically want to come back to the montage now in a second. But as as they're as they're doing that, and the security guard is walking around with the dog, and it's very much suggested that not only can the dog see her, uh, because he runs in and runs away, basically yelping. Yeah. But also, he keeps hearing noises. He keeps hearing her laugh, and then bursts in and sees that it's Andrew McCarthy or Jonathan on his own. Yeah. And. So is it one of those, you know, she turns to stone, a la the weeping angels in Doctor Who, she turns to stone when somebody looks at her? Or, you know, is it just... Yeah, well, it's the point. She... Like, he's the only one who believes that there's more going on. Mm. He's like, he's so attached to the mannequin because then he starts, uh, you know, with James Spader, he starts chasing him in the car and he's like, there he is with the mannequin. We have to get the mannequin. Like, he's the only one. The cop is the only one who sees what's going on. And, you know, even though he goes along with it, he's still deemed as kind of crazy, you know? Um. Yeah, it's, well. it's, I'd totally forgotten as well that James Spader was in this film, and yes. I'm just, I'm just smiling, going, "Oh my god!" Like yes. this guy's in trouble. His nemesis is Ultron. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Talk about artificial intelligence love, coming to he's life. He's good though, even though like he he does. I mean, he's such a good actor, and he's just the way he does. It's like, what is it? Where did you get such an uh? Where did you get your, what is it? Where did you get all these skills for ass kissing? He's like, oh no, that's just God given talent, sir. And it's just, oh, that's right. He's just so good. Oh, he's oh. so good. And then his his character, it's so, it's so pleasantly odious. I mean, you can't root for him for any second, and it's brilliant. He's just even the hair's greased the hair, down. Yeah, the way he and, like uses his spit to put grease him oh. down. Oh. The little cigarillo as well. You know, oh, yeah. Everything about him just screams ponce. Yeah, he does that and, so well. But he makes well. a great villain because he yeah. does that. He does that so well in Pretty in Pink as well. He plays the rich boy who has no empathy, no sympathy, doesn't care about anyone other than himself. So I wonder if they just seen that and they were like, you know what? He's good for this role. Put him in this too. <laughs> I'd say this because you're right. Actually, Pretty in Pink. This is himself and Andrew McCarthy's second time working together yes. and they would go on again to work together in another film yep. but um, it's funny it, it's although this isn't one of the Brat Pack films it, it shares a lot with it so um, just slight context to whoever uh, hasn't heard of the Brat Pack of the 80s they were kind of a, a group of actors Molly Ringwald Andrew McCarthy uh, Rob Lowe uh, Emilio Estevez 
Ali Sheedy, um, probably forgetting a couple there, but uh, and I'm thinking of uh, the yeah, Breakfast Milo Club. and see Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew Anthony McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy. So you missed out two. Very good. I'm actually, yeah, I'm proud of myself for that one now. Uh, St. Elmo's Fire will be one of my favorites. I think they're nearly all in that one. Um, I thought Charlie Breakfast Sheen Club would have been in that too, but I guess not. No. I know Emilio Estevez is in it, but... I was going to say that he come later, but is Emilio the younger brother? No, that's that's another podcast episode there. <laughs> the, Sh- the Sheen and the Estevez families. We can discuss um, that at another moment, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, the like that, nearly all of those Brat Pack films, I would, you know, they're hangover movies, Sunday Fair, and this, I feel, very much fits in with that, although technically the only connection is Andrew McCarthy and, I suppose, to a lesser extent, James Spader. But um, they they all kind of serve as something of a time capsule of, you know, kind of sort of mid to late 80s, the, you know, the greed is good era. Yeah, um, it was the time where they, everything got greenlit. You certainly do get that feeling about some of these films. Everything like got film. greenlit. Yes. Yes. Well, do you want to see the script? Not important. Uh, Who's in it? It's like, do you want to see some mannequins? About a man who falls in love with a dummy. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Who do you have in it? Andrew McCarthy and Kim Cattrall. That's fine. Let's do it. Done. The oh, Chinese girl with the jade eyes and uh, what is it? It's just like, what? Just handing him bags of money. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's. It's a certain specific era in time. It's oh, yeah, wonderful yeah. fun. It's just completely disregarding. And I think that era of film is... I know, like, a lot of serious film students don't really like it. You know, I mean, look if you look up reviews for this, there's a lot of people who are really take film a little bit too seriously sometimes. Like, well, if it wasn't for these films testing their way through and getting greenlit, then we probably wouldn't have some of the better films that we have now. I, I agree. Now... Look, I will it's be the first person to say it is trial and error. I'll be the first person to say, okay, this is not the Citizen Kane of oh, it's not eighties uh, films. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's exactly like you say. It's it's films like this that can be used as jumping off points for some people's careers. It could be used as like that. Thirty three years later, we're here talking about this film. Mm-hmm. It's. You know, I saw a good review, actually, that was, it was meant as a scathing review, but it was actually, ended up being quite a positive one, I thought. Oh, really? And it was a reviewer based in Philadelphia who said that one of the nicest things about this film is that it seems to suggest that this Egyptian princess lands in the greatest place of all time, and that happens to be Philadelphia of the 1980s. And you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. Why not? She's meant to find her true love. And if her true love is in Philadelphia, then that's where she needs to go. I like it. I, I just feel like she might have overshot. She missed Rocky by it's a couple like, of years. It's like you've got mail, but then with an Egyptian princess and a curse and the gods wanting to find, have her help, help her find true love, I guess. That's it. And yeah, no Tom was, Hanks, but... <laughs> her life is much like these 80s films. It's trial and error. It's trial and error. <laughs> That's exactly it. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's very nice. I'll take that way. It's like a nice parallel to the movie. <laughs> um, she greenlit. She was, greenlit everything. It was brilliant. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Egyptian gods. Thank you very much, Kim Cattrall. Speaking Actually, of Egyptian yeah. gods, Kim Cattrall as an Egyptian princess. Before that, she was in Big Trouble in Little China. 
again, you know, she was the was she meant to be like the the girl with the jade green eyes or the Chinese girl with no, wasn't she not one of I those? Have a I can't terrible remember. Terrible confession to make. I have not yet Wait. seen Big Trouble in Little uh, China. Have you not? No, you should watch it though. It was yeah. it was good. She's good in it. Um, Pretty sure, yeah. Everyone who describes it usually tells me I'm mad for not having seen it. So it's yeah. okay. I've part of the part of this podcast is to work through films I haven't seen before. Well, there you go. That's another one. It's fun to watch yeah. though. Um, oh, she's not. No, no, no. She's not the girl with. I thought she was meant to be the the Chinese girl with the J green eyes, but I don't think she is. But she does become like a replacement or something. Oh, he just needs green eyed girls to break the curse. That was it. Yeah. Um, yes. so yeah, of course then you have Kim Cattrall. Um, but, um, yeah, and then now she plays an Egyptian princess named Emma, Emma, what's the last it's... name again? Emma, her... Uh, yeah, it's Emma, M... Emma, he calls her Emmy, but... Yes. This is terrible. It looks like we haven't done our research. I know, it looks really, really bad. We spent more time in the film calling Emma Heshire, he sir, he sir, I don't know how you say it. H-E-S-I-R-E. Um, M. Hishire. Hishire? Yeah, I don't know. That's um, not what that. yeah. But, like, I've never heard of an Egyptian with that name. It doesn't sound very Egyptian. Well, that's because she was removed ancient. from time and dropped into the 80s in Philadelphia. So she was never in the history books. But what? But her mom called her <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, her mom probably had heart failure when she saw her daughter have been, like, vanished away. Because that's, that's how the film opens, is that she's mummified well yeah. she's dressed in the bandages of being, uh, being she's hiding mom, she's hiding she's yeah that's and it mum comes in to say you know we're gonna marry you off as we've spoken about gonna be married to the tongue she also comes farmer. she also comes in to talk about how the pharaoh has hemorrhoids yeah it's it's an odd <laughs> it's an odd scene you mean you, you just kind of wonder all right what exactly was going on in egypt back yeah. then? and she's and she's oddly specific there's there's no one one thing that's fun as well is that emmy doesn't there's no kind of questioning her where she's from nope. there's no oh my god i've nope. been dropped into time she literally just says oh i was born in 2004 nearly to the year you know 2400 yeah. bc Before, and, yeah, and, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. and this is cool i'm an egyptian yeah all right then that's I'll, okay. I'll, I'll believe that i'm gonna start trying that as well next time i have a job interview i'm just gonna go in and say i was born in 2412 bc and i'm an egyptian princess see how that works for me Hey, look, if it's a history job, you're going to get it like that. <laughs> or they'll question my legitimacy. Either way. <laughs> sure, look, are you, are you doing well in life if your legitimacy hasn't been questioned? That's a good question. That's a good right. question. Yeah. It, 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 worked um, for, it worked for Kim Cattrall in his movie, so... It certainly did. And you know, she she actually did a lot of work. So it's very easy... Um, to write off some of the work that goes into these lighter films. Kim Cattrall was was bodybuilding for oh, was six she? weeks before oh. this film because yeah, she wanted that's what to have yes. this perfect oh, I didn't know she was image. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know she was doing actual bodybuilding. I know she was like, she had to sit for six weeks for a sculpture who would then, mm. sculptor who would make her face, you know, onto mannequins and stuff with different facial expressions, but I didn't know she actually yeah. toned up for it. Yeah, she too. Because oh. I remember actually before I read this, I was I was there was you yeah. know one of the many scenes of the films where they're going through uh, costume changes, and there's just a reveal of her midriff. And I yeah, she thinking, looks amazing. Oh my god, she's yeah, ripped. she looks amazing. She was thirty when she filmed this. Yeah, like I'm I'm thirty two, and I can tell you, I don't I'm have abs 30. like that. I do not look like Kim Cattrall. <laughs> I mean, 
yeah. It's like I don't look like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like it's and it's an awful because it's again, it's just to kind of shine a light on you know this wasn't shot in a weekend. This wasn't no, done no. with you know here's you know whatever the script is or knows. You know, she she credits this film as kind of getting her past you know the girl you know yeah. kind of role in films this was she was the lead and she's what I was she was the lead woman she wasn't the lead girl mm-hmm. she was the lead woman yeah. in the film yeah and you know she's very much in control of her own fate she yeah. she, she is she decides that Jonathan Switzer is you know her her one and only so she organizes being dropped into his mind really so he creates the mannequin body of her and you know she just has ultimate fun and you know apart from yes the plot hole of suddenly i'm alive now there is you know she controls the situation whatever way she wants she but what does be like it makes it awkward for him sometimes be, you could like even put this if you want to go really far it's like put this in a slightly religious context you know it's like he built her even though she already existed he built her and then she falls in love with him so he would yeah, basically like, be her god and she decided to like fall in love with her own maker or well i mean you're right i mean it's, yeah. you know as as bonkers as that sounds you're you're absolutely right um there is there's obviously we spoke about it it, it comes from the original idea of this the, yeah. the greek myth of pygmalion but there's there's so many different versions on that throughout history so like michael gottlieb he initially said that he got the idea in 1982 while he was walking through New York and he yeah. thought he saw a dummy move out the corner of his eye. Yeah. And I thought that's a very nice story if there hadn't been the 1948 film One Touch of Venus, which is effectively the same film. Yeah. Starring Ava Gardner. Exactly. Venus. Although it was 1948, so Venus does not break up a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yes, no, no, that that doesn't happen at all. And the artist stays yeah. with his girlfriend. And, and no, it could be, it could be just coincidental, you know, um, that that's the way he thought about. Because the thing is, movies, movie ideas, everything's been done at this stage. You know, everything yeah, just gets kind of rebooted into a new form. And um, like I know, like they wanted to reboot this, like I said, in two thousand ten with a hologram, and they have already kind of done that in other ways in other films. Mm. But also, they wanted they did a part two with Kirsty Swanson, which I, I know, have I not that. seen. But I was like, I have not seen. The <laughs> reviews were not kind, which is fine. They weren't kind to this film. And she took the role. The box office. <laughs> yeah. Now I will watch it. I, I'm not going to write it off until I watch it. But I wouldn't mind watching yeah. it. Yeah, just to see what it's like, because I don't think I've really seen her in much else either. Um, That's true. Although apparently, now I didn't know this. She is also in Pretty in Pink. Let me see. Pretty pink yeah, is so just what just while you're looking for 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 that there, um, because it was now it was like that in the review. It was you know who had also appeared in in this film, but uh, like like that the, the sequel. Even the director said, mm. "Look, nobody thought they were making the next Godfather." Oh, geez, like, you don't even recognize her. Yeah. Um, and apparently, uh, she was a delight to work with on set. Um, so just. Big up, Christy Swanson there. Yeah, um, yeah she but, wasn't, uh, uh, yeah, she, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't recognize her, but I Googled it there and I recognized her character. So it's like, yeah, that's, mm. that's, that's, I never noticed that. But then again, it's like, so Andrew McCarthy and James Spader worked together and then Kim Cashel and um, the one who plays Roxy, 
Carol Davis, I think her name is Carol Davis. Um, yes, play, yeah. She she played. They reunited in Sex in the City. Yes, I saw that actually. Yeah. Um, now I again, I hands up. I've seen the first season of Sex in the City, and I did. I, I enjoyed it. I might get around to oh, actually good. Have I seen the second season? I might have seen the second season as well. It's good. I enjoy um, it. I enjoy the rewatch every now and then. I mean Carrie becomes completely like it's just no one likes Carrie, let's put it that way. Um we are all a little bit Carrie, alright? But um yeah, yeah, yeah. She is um it's it's a small role that um Yoan plays in, but it's just nice to see that they get reunited for that as well, you know. Um but I was reading that even though Kim Cattrall had done a lot, you know, in the 80s and stuff, apparently she didn't automatically get the role for Samantha. She still had to audition for it. Yeah, and it's funny because you're right. Like, you think a lot of times that, let's say, so now Sex and City has obviously aged a little bit and, you know, the entire world knows the four girls. Yeah. But, so you just kind of assume that the part was written for them or you just assume they were always that, but you're, you're dead right. Nope, she had to audition just like, you know, like, like all Everyone else. the rest of... Yeah. You know, say everyone under under the A class, A class. I remember, sorry, reading a or watching a interview with the the late Oliver Reed when they were uh, making Gladiator, and I believe somehow the message got to him that Ridley Scott would like him to read for a part in Gladiator, and he was good natured about it, but he was just laughing and just like, "Darling, I don't read. <laughs> you either want me or you don't." <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. But, you know, he had quite a few years That's of history it. behind him. Yeah, so. yeah. And I don't think that as a woman in the 80s, 90s, you could get away with that. Oh, because there were so many, you know, they were predominantly hiring white women at the time. So it would have been very easy for them to say, well, okay, we'll find someone else who wants to audition then, you know. So, yeah, possible. Yeah, so I don't think they would have even, no matter how big, you know, they would have been really in a position to do that. At least not before I, the show. Yeah, I... I think so. I think so. I the this film as well. It's a obviously all films are products in a way. They're yeah. all you know, but this one very very much was a product of market research. Um, yeah. We had Joseph Farrell, who is became very well known as you know Hollywood market research guru. He kind of perfected yeah. focus groups and test audiences using this film. Yeah. So, again, um, so this film feels kind of like, you know, ah, yes, meets the girl, this happens, you know, kind of like you're ticking off a list, which today, now, yes, you would just be like, yes, 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 yes. And, of course, they ride off into the sunset together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I'm not saying by any accounts was this the first film to use that formula, but this film was among the first to very purposefully. Yeah. And they you know, tailored reaction it. To rea- reaction yes. to reactions tailored it. Exactly. To that. Yeah, he tailored it to the uh, to the test audiences to see what would work, and they kind of went like, okay, what are the most favorite things? Like, who is our who is our audience? What do they like best? Stick that all in, and it became a bit of like copy paste and adjust here and there. Um, you know, and it's like, how can we all make this kind of work? Because if you look at it, it is a bit like, you know up down up down up down and you can see how the story it doesn't flow really you know it just hops from one thing to another that clearly were pointed out as you know the 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 things that the the test audience or the target audience would love to see but there it it doesn't Mm. flow very well it doesn't if 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 i have one big criticism of the film is that no character has an arc 
in this film. Um, exactly. The, you, you, like even even Jonathan, you know, Andrew McCarthy's character, even he doesn't have an arc because he effectively, although you get five minutes of him, you know, switching from job to job, you know, then he meets, you know, the the, the CEO Estelle, and he's working in Princess. You're not exactly and rooting for him. Not re- because there's no, no challenge. There's no there. challenge, and it's uh, his girlfriend's horrible, and you're not exactly rooting for her. And then you know, and then the only one you're kind of rooting for is Emmy, yes. kind of to find her true love, and so she can become human. Yes. Um, and it is. It is yeah. at the end of the day. It is more Emmy's story. It is more about Emmy than about Jonathan. It is. It is I just, mean, and yeah. Andrew McCarthy, you know, got he is quite good in this. He himself sort of got the role. Because of these kind of focus groups, because they yeah. were targeting a very sort of, they want young girls yeah. to watch this yeah. film. And he was, you know, 24-year-old, completely fresh-faced. Yeah, and they didn't think he would do well, but eventually he did. Uh, yeah. What were they, like, I'm just like, what do you mean he wouldn't do well? Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. They're proving, proving their point, absolutely. Proving their that. point 30 years <laughs> later. And I'm older now than Andrew McCarthy was when he made the movie. <laughs> so. I know it's it's quite, I am I am six years older than yeah. he was making no I'm not sorry I've just knocked two years off my life <laughs> that's fine we can me. do that here that's fine yeah actually yeah, yeah. I'll just cut out all references truth. to my age <laughs> but um cool so yeah then just a segue because you said you wanted to talk about the role-playing uh, montage yes what about definitely. that and nothing gets more 80s than is a role-playing montage Oh, it's just stunning. It's it's that perfect. It's the power ballad over. They've got this costume and this costume, and he's air. He's playing a guitar, or whatever. And then if you, I was so I was watching. Right, so the thing goes on for about three minutes. It's a full yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a full song. A it's like a music anything. video. Yeah, and you know they have all these. <laughs> I, I I I am overthinking this, but they have all these massive costume and makeup changes and everything. And then the song comes to an end, and. Hollywood, the you know the the very yeah, yeah, flamboyant yeah. window dresser walks around the corner and says, "Okay, I'm going to go for dinner now." So that either they've just done twenty four hours and nobody's noticed yeah, them, that's a fair or they've point. just managed to cram an awful lot of costume changes into about half an hour. Oh right, yeah, that's a good point. Well, the store is meant to be quiet at that point because that's when they brainstorm, though. Mm. That's before they kind of get successful, isn't it? So it's yeah, because when they walk through the store, he's like, "Oh, when do you guys open?" And she looks around disappointedly. She goes, "We are open," you know. So it's like, poor woman. Um, But yeah, he walks in and kind of catches him, and he just leaves him at it. And what I found, oh, okay, this was the eighties, so we'll completely have to disregard that it was allowed. This movie definitely wouldn't fly right now. Like people would not like it. Uh, because the, this guy is basically having sex with a mannequin, and the only one who can normalize that is a very camp African American homosexual man. I mean, and because he says something Rube like, "Paul oh. would have to work up <laughs> to this level of 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 camp." Now he was played by uh, a heterosexual actor, uh, which I thought I was like. I could look at it one of two ways. Either it was a horrifically offensive performance or I just kind of went, do you know what? That was fun. Yeah, but uh, if, yeah, it's like if you want to start digging for these kinds of problems, because we're obviously looking at these films from a modern perspective, right? I mean, times have changed. Um, you know, if I would have watched this film in the 90s or when it came out, I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was even born when it came out. 
But if it was, I was about to say same. <laughs> just for the record, predates um, me by one but, year. But um, you know, if I would have watched it at the time, it would have been funny because that was what it was at the time. But right now, if you watch it through modern lens, it wouldn't have been really allowed. Uh, you know, you'd be you'd be like, okay, this guy clearly has a mental illness, and his girlfriend's an mm. absolute bitch. But also, she's the only colored woman in this entire movie. Why does she have to be the absolute? Sorry for cursing. I don't know if you were allowing that, but um, she, no, you know, she's not the absolute meanest person, you know. And it's just like, ugh. and then there's 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 the fake Italian guy who is basically a walking, you know, a walking ad for sexual predators. So it's like. There's so many, if you want to look at it through today's, you know, views of what we know, that entire movie is just it's offensive <laughs> to the core. Oh my yes. God. There was, there's one thing I'll say in its uh, a meager defense. Uh, the uh, So the night cop uh, basically uh, yeah. ins- uh, insinuates that uh, Andrew McCarthy's character is gay as well. He says something like, you know, you guys only come out at yep. night having just referenced uh, Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew McCarthy does turn around and calls him a bigot to his face. Yeah. Which I thought, you know, all right, great. You know, maybe this doesn't save the entire film in terms of offensiveness, but I do like that they have it's a, like, what ha- is the most, a lampshade on What it. is the most offensive thing in the entire movie? Is that it? <laughs> oh, most offensive thing. That, that could be... Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, if you were to look at it from now, you know, from this perspective now, I'm not saying the movie or the writers deserve to be cancelled. Absolutely not. It's a bit of fun. But if you look at it from now, it's just like, jeez, is there anything? Is there even a contest? Because there's a lot of horrible things being said and done. There really, really is. <laughs> like it's, but it, it sort of comes down to the thing again, like, you know, there's, there's no character arc, and it seems like the character bios were, uh, as you say, okay, we have Jonathan, and he's Artist. We need a pro- we yeah. Emmy, yeah. and she's princess. We need and a- we have Roxy, who's bitch. Yeah, we need a protagonist. Yeah. We need, and then we need a few antagonists. You know, what are his antagonists? It's going to be the store owner. It's going to be the security guard. Like it's it's an us. It's it's like an us against the world sort of idea of yes. You know, having to fight for their love, but also help him keep his job. Um, which was also, by the way, more her idea than his. So what's the deal with this man taking credit for a woman's work? I thought it was very funny because I, I, I had obviously I'd forgotten a bit of the film, so I wasn't sure if there was any point where she was going to be like, "Well, can I have the job?" Well, it's because of that her. I have been doing. Yeah, well, she can't obviously Although can't she... do the job because she only comes alive at night for him for some reason. But well, it is because of her that he gets to keep his job. So I think though they do kind of they, they I perhaps realizing that. That was the situation they found themselves in. The writers they do include a scene where uh, they're they've they've left themselves with whatever half an hour to go until morning. That's another thing. I have worked in merchandising yeah. for five years. You don't pull that kind of stuff off no. in half an hour. So the, the thing with the tennis rackets and they're all turning and they've all got electronics and everything. That is something that I know. But in the eighties you make. do. But in the eighties you pull but that of course, stuff yeah. off. I mean, it's just Absolutely, the two of yeah. them, but, you know, apart from the fact they probably need to drill hole and build all these mechanisms, no, they can do that. Well, exactly. well she learned how to use the nail gun, so it's fine. She probably invented the nail gun. So. <laughs> yeah, she nearly takes his eye out. It's pretty good. Final Destination, the prequel. That's um, great. <laughs> mannequin edition. Um, but, uh, 
it's just I know to, to belabor a point it's just a lot of fun it is it is I really do enjoy watching the movie and every now and then I just watch it again I put it on with my boyfriend in the room and he was just he was just laughing like he he generally doesn't really like those movies he wouldn't go out of his way to watch them you know um, he watch like fun movies and stuff that we can laugh about but he'll be like this is hilarious but also ridiculous like in a ridiculous way it's like like you can tell this is literally when they greenlit everything <laughs> it's just like kind of yeah I one one thing I, that struck me is it's it's sort of a sort of a, a reworking of like Pinocchio. Yeah, you know? that's another Obviously, one. There you go. Like, that's a good one. Yeah, and I hadn't even thought of you, that. You sort of hope Geppetto and Pinocchio didn't have the relationship that Jonathan. And <laughs> had, but uh, at the end of it, he becomes a real boy. Uh, um, there was a, just because you know. That's a good point. I never actually realized that. Well, that's, like, that's, it's you know it's a man you know makes this child out of woods and only he sees the child come to life well then the child goes out and donkey ears and everything is a whole big thing yeah. but then on um, a wishing about it becomes alive um very what if we, similar yeah. to what if Monica, we yeah. make the ch- what if we make the the wooden boy uh a female and she ends up having to, you know what it, what are the stakes how can we up the stakes basically that's what they did well, that's it they still managed, obviously, they kept it a light comedy, but it's, oh, it's yeah. that idea of, you know, creation giving life, I guess. Yeah. Probably the deepest thing I'll ever say about this. Um, but uh, there's a, a few, obviously, you know me, and I tie everything back into Star Trek whenever I can. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a couple of, of episodes that have almost, well, a very, very similar idea. You have one from the original series, it's called Requiem for Methuselah, where an immortal human being makes an immortal robot just because he's lonely yeah you know and they spend all of eternity together and you can sort of she sort of flips it on it she becomes mortal to yeah. stay with jonathan now again it, it's not as addressed like, in such heavy terms no but, but then it's like in in what is it in like avatar as well which is basically pocahontas yeah. which she basically you know it's just it's the little mermaid where she becomes human for the prince in the disney that's version it. then um, yes that's true yeah. I'll, I'll note that it's the disney version um you know it's 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 happened in so many movies so on its own if you just take the narrative separately from the result it's not you know it's not new it's it's not and in a it's like like you said there's nothing really new in hollywood no. in in a way i mean look of of course there are we watch a film it's new and we get surprised that's not what i mean what i mean is the original the original plots yeah are you know the hero's quest, the romantic story. This is just the romantic story with an eighties sheen on it, and a really, really eighties sheen on it. Oh yeah, Actually, just some of the jackets. <laughs> I love but, it. Uh, I love it. Don't you mock the jackets? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't dream of mocking the jackets because I know if I do, part of that collar that was on her shirt is still gonna find me thirty years later and take my eye out. <laughs> Uh, um, it probably will be a shoulder pad, though. Uh, probably, probably. You're like, well, actually, well, wouldn't that be a nice feeling, kind of a shoulder? It depends if it's like you know. It, I don't need it them. Depends how eighties it is. Yeah, it could my be shoulders like the soft are, shoulder like pads. I have shoulder pads, so I don't need them. <laughs> shoulders are better than your shoulders are better than my pads. My I could, pads, I could play shoulders. for the NFL. Like that's how big my shoulders are. <laughs> Now, if the NFL are listening, let me just say that. Please do uh, not hire me. I do not details in the description of the episode. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. The uh, obviously now when kind of when you're talking about this film, it's very very hard not to get that song in your head. 
Starships, nothing's going to stop us I now. love that song. This film, this silly film you know, about a mannequin coming to life, is an Oscar-nominated film. Yep. Because it was nominated for the Oscar for the song. For the best lost, song, yeah. For the best song. Like, it lost now, what, what it didn't win, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, put it this way. Whoever's listening to this, if I said, I've had the time of my life, you're probably humming that now. So you can understand why that song won the Oscar. But this one was no. when I was... <laughs> I'm just saying, no, because for me, it's like... What, what comes into my head is Green Day's. Time of your life, but yeah, fair, <laughs> it's a different one. Fair, but <laughs> I like that. That's, that's for Mannequin Part Three. That's that's going to be a very, <laughs> uh, very kind of different film. Um, but I just thought it was, you know, it, that song, which again, from revisiting this film, hadn't realised it was from this film. Um, it was. You knew just, the song. I, I, I knew the song, and it's such an eighties. I've been to a couple of. Um, like, full disclosure, love the 80s. I will do any 80s costume party you want to do. I'll go to any kind of 80s night. And we've, oh, because we've, we've never done those, right? Absolutely. No. <clears throat> that would recently. Well, I thought <clears throat> recently, I mean, <clears throat> pre-lockdown. pre-lockdown. <laughs> but, um, and it was just 80s power ballads all night. And I remember belting away to this song. And I, I know that if you had turned around to me that night and said, oh, do you know that film Mannequin? I would have been like, you're lying. There's <laughs> no way this is for the it just made the song. It just made me love the song more that it was yeah. in such a, that it was the, you know, the, the soundtrack, the theme for this, for this movie. It just made me, I just gained so much more love for both the movie and the song. I was like, yes, respect. Ultimate and, respect. Uh, now, now, to all of my listeners out there, I'm going to have to ask you to go and search for the song yourself because... Y'all know I don't got money for that copyright. So um, go uh, Spotify, YouTube, plug for Starship, who I hope are doing very well. <laughs> I'd say most of the listeners would probably know it. I would. I'd like I'd to probably, hope so. Yeah. So otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this episode anyway. There, there is the uh, story of that. Um, and one thing, just uh, before we go, one thing that kind of did, um, that I really liked about the movie is that it was filmed in a real department store. Yes, it was. Now, you yeah. see the scene where she used a paraglider. Was the department store that big or was that a set? She uses a whole <laughs> ass paraglider and it takes her like a good minute till she comes down. Yeah, like, yeah, I remember watching her like, I would do that. It's, if that is on offer oh, in definitely. any shopping center, it's, it's, I would do that. It's, I mean, it's America, so it's probably that big. Everything is grander there. But it is, it is... Like that scene to me, it's like the scene in Home Alone where he sleds off, uh, where he sleds down the stairs into the snow. <laughs> it's just like those are the things you really want to do. Are in an L shape. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. And they're not even lined up with the door, but he still manages oh, to make it straight out the door at an angle. Um, but that was just, it just reminded me of some, that's those scenes where you would watch probably when you were younger. Now I didn't watch it. I didn't watch Mannequin when I was that young, but be like, oh cool, I'd want to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, you're like, oh my God, I'll do it. I'll do that. Hopefully you have an adult sitting beside you going, no. Yeah, so to anyone listening, or if my boyfriend happens to be listening, um, if you ever want to go paragliding in a department store, if I have not told you this during the movie, I would love to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to finish that, but if you're going to go paragliding in a shopping center, don't. <laughs> but, okay, yeah, two different two different things there. So, look, I think that sort of brings us more or less, like we've kind of analysed the film as much as it can be analyzed but it doesn't run very deep it's 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 not one of the deep it's it's not a fi- now I, I will say as well it sounds awful but this was not a film that needed a sequel oh no 
<laughs> and I'm not going to write off the sequel, even though... It needed character development, no sequel. <laughs> no, no, this is very much a one and done. But as is the And that's what makes office, it so good. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's just, it should have been just a standalone film. Much like those Brat Pack movies from yeah. the 80s. I mean, nobody's looking for The Breakfast Club 2, even though how many versions of The Breakfast Club have been done? The second Breakfast stage. Club. <laughs> a Lord of the Rings special. That's probably already been done, but if not, you heard it here first. Created by I'm Sean and Inda. 100%. We are inviting the cast to come on for our next episode. Pay us for this idea post. if you're going to use it, and if it hasn't been used already. Absolutely. It probably has been, but FYI. So, Why? <laughs> if if you had to uh what so your final thoughts on this film and uh what 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 kind of feelings does this film leave you with it makes me it made it makes me feel it's so weird to say it, it just makes me feel i don't know it doesn't really make me feel anything but i don't regret watching it you know and nothing's gonna stop me from watching it again <laughs> that it. was that was very cheesy but i just it had that, to was, be done. that was good i like i like the plug <laughs> uh, um very, very much the same. Now, I don't know, it might be another 10 years before I sit down and watch it again, but that won't be because I'm avoiding it. I will say that. It's it's a perfectly charming film. I think there's as decent performances as can be dealt out are in the film. Um, Kim Cattrall is the highlight of the film for me. Uh, I think she's, she's very, very good in it. Oh, definitely. And yeah, I think it's a, a perfect little slice of you know, decadent neon 1987 Definitely. Philadelphia, which is the greatest city in the world, according to this film. And, During the uh, 80s. Yeah, if I, if I ever get a time machine, I mean, I'll consider it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I would, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. Uh, well, well, look, listen, after all of that, that's the end of our episode this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether you think we're mad for what we've said, think we're stunning or wonderful, or frankly, think we're on crack, let us know. Please consider following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, which I've been calling iTunes, or the podcast catcher of your choice. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Inda, uh, Inda, do you have your uh, Twitter have handle or anything there? My Twitter handle, which is Inda Pinda, which is uh, I-N-D-A-H-P-I-N-D-A underscore. Lovely. So, yes, drop all the spam mails over there. Uh, but just to keep it fair, if you want to drop me some spam, I'm at Sean Ferrick on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well, although I rarely use it, but uh, I'm there. Um, yeah, and of course, the podcast... Side note for my Twitter, I only retweet ridiculous things, so... (laughs) The more ridiculous things you send her, the better. You can also get in touch by sending an email to our Gmail, youroncrackmate at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so on Patreon. We're on patreon.com forward slash Sean Ferrick. For the same price as a coffee a month, you can seriously help in terms of production and you can also get creative control and support episodes that are coming up as well. In the meantime, guys, I've been Sean and you've been awesome.